Psalm chapter 33, and I'm in the Psalm Sunday series working our way through my favorite psalms. Now, Psalm 33 is one of my favorite psalms because whenever I read these verses, I think about America. I'm blessed to live in the land that I love, and we're blessed to gather together today in faith. I want to read Psalm 33, verse 10, 11, and 12, and then I want to pray. Here's what the Bible says, that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And then he said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for your great hand of love and mercy. And I just, I pray, Lord, as we minister the word of God, that hearts are open to receive today. We thank you for a transformation, not just in our personal lives, but in our land. We're asking for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. Now, I have had 39 Fourth of Julys. So I don't remember all of them, but I do distinctively remember uh, Fourth of July uh, 2001 because I was, uh, you know, working with the youth group kids and it was on a Wednesday night and, uh, you know, I... (laughs) I don't know. I just thought it would be fun to douse a group of them with a bunch of water while they were at the sound booth. And uh, predictably, a few of them chased me down the stairwell. And I was making my way down there and escape. I don't know if it was the Birkenstocks I was wearing or the fact that I tried to jump from like the sixth stair. But I fell on my ankle and crumpled up on the floor, <laughs> wallowing around in such pain I hadn't had. Now, I remember that day, not just because of torn tendons, but... Uh, Because that was the day I had really just discovered this verse as I was reading my Bible that morning. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's what the scriptures teach. And I thought about that verse. And then I started thinking about a question that I want to present this morning. What is it that makes a nation great? You know, when you're young, you're very impressionable. And I remember being maybe 10 years old, and sitting there with my grandmother, my grandma, who is about 97. She's like a sage. She's very wise. And she sat there and she said, you know, America has a lot of flaws, but America is still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And I never forgot that. I think that that really rings true. What is it that makes a nation great? You know, that was the campaign slogan that made you know, that President Trump made famous. It was used by William Jefferson Clinton before him, Ronald Reagan before him. In fact, it goes back to Barry Goldwater in the 1960s. When you think about greatness, you could think about it in terms of, you know, the geopolitical aspect. America is the world's superpower for the time being. We have, at the moment, the reserve currency. We're unmatched in our innovation And we have incredible military might. And so on the surface, you could say America is a great nation. But as I read my Bible, there's other things that God describes and defines as what makes for a greatness and a great nation. And I want to highlight some things that are beyond just the natural strength of a land. And I'm just going to work my way through the passage here. Let's look again at verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. This verse tells me that a nation is only as good as its people. A nation is only as good as the morality and the character of his people. He said the Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. 
from the place of his dwelling, he looks on the inhabitants of the earth. And if you know the Bible, you know that he sees beyond natural things. He sees, in verse 15, the hearts individually. He fashions their hearts, and it says he considers their works. Now, when I read these verses, the first thing that really stuck out to me about what makes for a great land has to do with morality. God sees the secrets of men. It says here that he molds the hearts and he understands the motives. It speaks to me of moral issues, uh, integrity and justice and righteousness and godly conduct uh, among people. You know, in verse 5, at this same chapter, it says the Lord loves righteousness and justice. I like what Proverbs chapter 14 says. It says that righteousness exalts a nation, but that sin is a reproach to people. There's something about righteousness that's incredible. Now, I like studying history. There's a man named Edward Gibbons who wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. In the book, he says that Rome basically collapsed as a nation because of the moral decay of its population, of its citizenry. And, you know, we, we gather here on Wednesday nights, and we are praying. I've been praying with the same group of people on Wednesday nights for almost two decades, and we are serious about praying, man. We love to pray and seek the Lord. And God has been visiting us with his presence, and you can feel it. That means God is about to do something. We're praying for America. I told our people on Wednesday night, it feels like you're watching America literally have a moral meltdown right in front of you. I mean, just watching the news, it's really quite remarkable. Some people like listening to music in their cars. I listen to the news probably too much. I, I was listening to NPR on my way into work on Wednesday, and National Public Radio, about once or at least twice a week, has special segments that they designate towards LGBTQ issues. And it's like they're always talking about it. And they were talking about the fact, they were even saying Nickelodeon, that kids program, is now affirming uh, uh, you know, LGBT lifestyles because you know, they said so many kids are struggling with it. And by the way, that's a real thing happening. And they said you know, that they're trying to make people feel uh, you know, happy and appeased by it. But I mean, when you're talking to three-year-olds, it, to me, it feels like an indoctrination. And it's this constant drip, drip, drip. My wife was watching Nickelodeon. And, and that the commercial between Blue's Clues, they had two men in bed saying they loved each other and good night. And it, it's like, you know, the, my children are, you know, three-year-olds, five-year-olds. You can just feel society moving in a direction. Yeah. You know, it, it's a funny thing. If you, I'm not, like, talking on political subjects today. Uh, some preachers are afraid to touch political topics. It does happen. Uh, and I, I remember I did one this series this fall about social studies. We were just highlighting cultural problems. I highlighted the subject of abortion. You know, America is one of five nations with on-demand abortion. And I had people that never came back because they were upset about that. So I'm not being political. I'm just trying to address what the Word of God teaches. That morality is a real thing. Yeah. And, and people are afraid to say stuff like, if you're having sex with people you're not married to, that is a problem. That's sinful living. And yet it's so rampant in our society, particularly among young people. It's like, it's like people don't even bristle an eye at it anymore. I mean, we, we, you can't pay your bills and are burdened. National debt and personal indebtedness is a moral issue. The Bible says when you're so broke, you can't pay your bills and are burdened to society. It is a problem. And we've got that run rampant with people. I mean, we could talk about the political corruption of a nation. Have you seen the elections in New York City? I mean... They, they had, you know, particular candidates running, but they wanted to kind of spice up what they did. Somehow, 135,000 test ballots got put 
in the election. And now they got three people suing because no one knows who's going to win the election. I mean, it's like, you know, you're undermining the confidence in what's going on. Speaking of New York City, they had a 26-year-old candidate running for district uh, for the city council, a man named Zachary Weiner. This man uh, leaked, he, his, his, his campaign leaked out pictures of him uh, being in BDSM poses. And he was just trying to normalize sadomasochism. And when confronted by it, he said, yeah, I like BDSM, so what? That was his stance. And that's being eaten up now by people. Like, well, that's just what people do. I mean, just think about where society finds itself at right now. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable moments in time. And, you know, one thing I do enjoy about the summertime is the Olympics. Unless, of course, the people who win things don't want to celebrate the fact that they're Americans. My Bible tells me in the book of Romans that when you lack gratitude, that's the beginning of a slippery slope into perversion. So we could spend all morning talking about incidents and moments where we can highlight the decline and the moral decay of our nation. But I want to just you know, pose the question about morality. How are we going to live in light of a seemingly overwhelming onslaught of perversion taking place in the land? I'll tell you what we need to do is, first of all, honor God. That's what Brother Paul was singing about this morning. Man. You honor God when you put Him first in your life, in your decision-making, in the way that you raise your family, in the way that you handle your money, in the choices and the consequences that you have by honoring the Lord. The Bible says that integrity will lead you and guide you. And when you put God first in your personal life, it permeates people around you and society. We honor the Lord, and we got to honor one another. The golden rule. That means that there are some people that you may not care for, enjoy, you might even disagree with them, but it means they need to be treated with dignity, with respect. It means you should go the extra mile to help them out, extend a helping hand, do what you can to be a blessing to them. That's honoring people. We honor the Lord. We honor one another. And if you really want to see morality take place, I'll tell you what you got to do is learn how to honor those who are in authority. People like police officers, School teachers. I didn't have too much trouble with the law, but sometimes school teachers really drove me nuts. And I had to really work <laughs> at honoring people who were in authority in the sixth grade. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we could think about honoring bosses that you don't like and annoy you, and maybe you feel like they're riding you. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, in that context, speaking of people in authority, says that we do it so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. It would appear that rebellious behavior towards authority is a demonic doctrine. And that's what we see taking place when we talk about a decline in society. We, we can start seeing rebellious attitudes affect people. So the first thing I would submit to you is that, if you is that God sees hearts and he understands motives and he knows what's driving people and he knows what, what real morals should take place. He can see when morality is adrift. And that's where we find ourselves in America right now, adrift. The first thing we got to ask ourselves, the first answer we have as to what makes a nation great is to live with a state of morality, honoring God, following his principles. Now, here is a, a second thought about what makes for great lands. Let's read verse number 16. I like this verse. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. 
neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Now, when I read this verse, these verses, what came to me was the understanding of a word that we call meekness. Meekness. Everyone say meekness. Meekness is, is a misunderstood concept because people associate it with timidity or perhaps insecurity or even humility. But what meekness really is referring to is strength that is under control. You know, everybody has a certain measure of strength, uh, ability, gifting, and talent. But meekness understands that like a horse with a bridle, it has to be submitted and harnessed. Meekness is what allows a surfboard rider to stay gently on top of something. Meekness is what allows a boxer to stay in the ring. They got strength, but it has to be controlled. It has to be harnessed. When he said that no king is saved by the multitude of an army, that, that a horse is a vain hope for safety. I was reminded of Psalm 147, verse 10, in which the Bible says, The Lord does not delight in the legs of a man, and he takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse. You know, the legs are, are like your strongest muscle part of your body. And what God is simply trying to reiterate to us, he doesn't really need your help and your strength to accomplish his purposes. That God just needs your cooperation you're surrendering to him, and you're submitting to him. That if people would live their lives submitted and surrendered to the Lord and, and live it with the authority they have but surrendered to the Lord, then you could see some great things take place in your personal life and in the nation. You know, I think about meekness. I think about what it means to be vocal but not overbearing. You know, you're going to have to be vocal in the times that we live in. Because if they came to silence Dr. Seuss, they're going to come to try to silence you. Uh, that is what we see taking place. And yet, sometimes you have to have conversations with people who may disagree with you. I remember I was living in Seattle in the year 2004 during an election cycle. And I was one of three people out of a group of probably 40 employees who had one political bent. And I remember the constant drip, drip, drip of arguing and, you know, I managed to be cool. I was chill. We had fun. We joked about it. But I know a lot of people who simply can't do that. They get so angry. They get so worked up. The Bible says in John, J James chapter 1 and verse 20 that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger, your frustration, you're treating people poorly because you're frustrated really isn't going to get the job done. God doesn't need that. He needs you to be vocal about truth, vocal about your beliefs, vocal in the public sector about what right and wrong is without having to be overbearing and offensive to somebody. That's meekness. It's strength that is controlled. When I think about meekness, what I think about is not having to defend myself from criticisms, from haters, from people who don't like you. Because, you know, you can spend a whole lot of time arguing with people trying to defend yourself and, a lot, and waste a lot of energy rather than just understand that God is the one who will vindicate me. He is in control. Yeah. This just happened to me. I came across this the other day. I, I found out, I'm, I, I think I'm one of those people who's very likable. That's what I think about myself. I think people like me. And I was told that I was, quote, fake nice. Fake nice. I was like, no, I'm really nice. And then someone told me I was immature. Immature, we can debate. But fake nice... I'd have to defend myself. Listen, if you, meekness is like, you know what? God will take care of me. I don't have to defend myself. God is my vindication. He'll be my, my source. Meekness means that you don't let your vices and your appetites run wild. Like you have a little bit of self-control and restraint 
when it comes to things. And this is a real problem in our society today. Because, you know, it got real hot lately, in case you didn't notice. I mean, we, we got, now they say you go camping, you can't have a fire. Who wants to go camping without fires, right? Yeah. So I started thinking about it. And if we can't sit by fires and it's so hot, I started thinking, oh, I want a boat. And I saw a buddy of mine on Facebook. He was selling his boat. And I started doing the mental gymnastics of what it would take for me to get that boat. I was going all the way through it, trying to figure it out. And then you know what happened? Self-control kicked in. <laughs> Meekness, which said, as much as I want to go sit at Yellowtail Dam on a hot day, I could say no to things. That's called meekness. I, I could do it, but I, I'm submitting my strength. I don't have to do that. Meekness would mean that you, you are not someone who is uh, self-righteous. It means that before you criticize the problems and flaws of other people, you acknowledge the log that might be in your own eye. <laughs> and this is what happens with people, man. They get on self-righteous high horses and think about all the sinners and all the problems and everything that's going around them, never really considering that maybe on the inside there's some things you've got to deal with. And, and when you have that realization, it helps you just stay cool and, and, and submit and humble yourself. You know, Jesus said something very interesting in the Sermon on the Mount. The meek shall inherit the earth. When I think about the context of this passage, it's very easy to follow. The, the writer we think is David. He, he is acknowledging uh, God and praising him for his faithfulness. He's acknowledging the hand of God in his sovereignty and creation. And he's acknowledging the sovereignty of God over nations and over individual peoples. That God has this sovereign ability to deal with you. He can fashion your heart. In fact, this morning, a woman was telling me that she was on her way to church and the Lord pricked her heart to, to go down a different route. And she ended up over on the intersection on 56th Street and uh, Laurel Road over here. And there was a wreck. Now, she is an elderly woman. but She was the first one on the scene. And she had a, a history, a medical history. She got out of the car, hopped a fence and brought aid to somebody. Because that's God's sovereign ability to lead somebody in a Listen, you, you got to understand, God, he can control nations, and he can control people. He, he can get the point across to you if you will submit to him. Meekness is a virtue. So if we want to see America, if we want to see a nation become great, its people need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Meekness. Now, here's a, here's a third thought. Verse number 18. He said, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Look at that. He said, God is able to take care of me. He said, our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In other words, he's got your back. He's going to take care of you. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. He said, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Let me give you a third thing that makes for a great nation, and it deals with the mercy of God. We, we, we could talk about morality. We could talk about meekness. Now we're talking about the mercy of God, his compassion. Mercy is literally when, when you show forgiveness towards someone who it's within your power to harm or or to repay something, and you just let it go. That's what mercy is. Mercy is when you don't deserve it, and yet you extend grace, and it's the essence of forgiveness. And I love what the prophet Micah said. I often quote him, that the Lord delights in mercy. 
He delights in it. He loves to give mercy out on behalf. I like Ephesians 2 and verse 4. It says God is rich in mercy. That's who he is. It's a part of his nature. And when you study the Bible, you will find very moments in time when God gave mercy on behalf of peoples and behalf of nations. A lot of times we don't associate the Old Testament with the mercy of God. We look at it like he's speaking in terms of the law and judgment, but man, you can see some beautiful pictures of God's nature and mercy. Man, I, I think about the first place the word mercy is used is in Genesis 19 in the story of Abraham when he was interceding for his family who was stuck in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember the story. The angels actually went and brought his family out, and the angels told the family that they had had mercy on them. And what that tells me is if you've got loved ones that are backslidden, maybe they're living in the world, maybe they're not serving God, they're stuck in a climate that's not spiritual, not godly, but you continue to intercede and pray, that's where God's mercy is able to reach people. I'm telling you, we should never stop interceding and praying on behalf of someone that you love because his mercy is always available. I thank God for his mercy. His mercy was revealed to Moses in the wilderness when he was dealing with the nation of Israel, a sin-sick, stiff-necked, difficult group of people. And Moses was praying, and God said, I'm just going to show mercy to them, even though they don't deserve it. God's mercy extended thousands of years later to the nation of Israel, when sovereignly and by the will of God and by prophecy, he planted them back in their land after two millennia where they disappeared. It's as almost as if his sovereignty is revealing the mercy of God. This is a part of who he is. And if you've got a citizenry who understands and appreciates mercy and its value, you can see a nation great again. Man, I think about the mercy of God that he showed towards King David. He said to King David, I won't take my mercy from you like I took it from Saul. He'd given David a promise, I'm going to make you king. The difference between Saul and David was really just David's heart. He had a heart after the things of God. And if your heart is right for God, if it's in the right place, even though you might have made some mistakes, even though there might be some flaws, even though there might be some issues, God's mercy will get you through problems. Man, I thank him for his mercy. His mercy was revealed to Nineveh, a Gentile nation. When I think about America, I like to think of it as if it was Nineveh. I pray that, that we would turn like Nineveh did and repent at the preaching of Jonah. <laughs> Man, you know, I heard someone say, the problem with America today is that no one's trying to kill the preachers anymore. <laughs> People repented at the preaching of Jonah. Like they heard truth and God gave them mercy. And you know the story made Jonah mad about it. Yeah. Or what about King Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked king, the king of Babylon, who God had used to, 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 to really do destruction to the temple there in, in Jerusalem. And he was wicked and yet God extended mercy to him. God warned him in dreams, don't go down this path. Don't let your arrogance and your pride ruin your life. And Daniel the prophet came to him and said, God will extend your kingdom if you turn from your sin and demonstrate mercy to the poor. That is such a thought. Sometimes 
Mercy is demonstrated when you simply give to somebody who cannot repay you, cannot help you, and extend mercy to them. And that moves the heart of God. That's character in a person that understands, I have something, and rather than hoard it, I'm going to bless you with something. That's morality. That's the mercy of God. Mercy was extended to the Apostle Paul, who he described himself as a blasphemer and an insolent man. That means he was a violent murderer. But he said, God gave me mercy because I did it ignorantly. How many of y'all have done something in ignorance? When you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, and yet God in his sovereign mercy extends it to you, that is the mercy of God. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that that through his mercy we are saved, not of yourself. Think about that. That's the reason that you and me are saved, blood-bought, washed, redeemed, in church worshiping God this morning. It's because of his mercy. Just like we sang today, where would you be without the mercy of God? I was shuddering to think about where I might find myself had it not been for the mercy and the grace of God. And what I love about God is that his mercies are new every morning. And his mercy endures to all generations. Man, how merciful is God? I'm just trying to, you know, give you some things as to what makes for a great nation. A moral people, a people who are meek and submitted to the things of God. And a a people who appreciate the mercy of God. Now, when I was at that sound booth, you know, growing up, if those, you know, clowns in the sound booth had extended mercy to me, I probably wouldn't have hurt my ankle that 4th of July. (laughs) But you know how it is with kids. <laughs> Sometimes you reap what you sow. And I was just thinking, you know, this morning about like, you know, where we find ourselves. And, and maybe, maybe today, you know, there's some morality issues you're struggling with. You can tell when, when, you know, there might be some morality at work when you don't really feel convicted about certain things. You hear stories about Nickelodeon trying to indoctrinate children with LGBT issues. And you think, well, that's okay. Maybe that's because the culture's caught up with you. And it might be that there's some moral issues in your own life you've got to deal with. Or maybe there's some meekness issues you realize you've got to temper. You can get hot. It can escalate very fast. And, and you've got appetites running wild. And that, that temper needs to just calm down. There's some meekness and some surrendering that may need to take place. Yeah. Or it, it could be that there's somebody you're angry at and you really got to just extend mercy and forgive and get over it. And God could be dealing with you right now about that with me. You know, we spend so much time praying for ourselves in church, don't we? How about we take just a moment with me and pray for the mercy of God in America? Because I'll tell you, that's the greatest thing that we need right now. Let's pray for our nation together. If God, through his sovereignty, gave mercy to Israel, it's in his nature to give mercy to our land. And I can't think of a more appropriate time or venue or place than for God's people to just cry out to him and ask for his mercy in our land. Can we do that? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, and and listen, if you've got a burden for America, just pray just where you're sitting at. Say, Lord, heal our land. God, we're asking for intervention. We're asking for godliness and righteousness to raise up. I pray for our citizenry. God, we're asking for a glorious, spectacular, gully-washing move of God in this land. God, we're asking you to to, to show yourself strong on our behalf and your mercy to be revealed for this land that we love, for our children and our grandchildren. God, in the times that we live in, mm, I'm praying, Lord, that you raise America up to fulfill the Great Commission and preach the gospel in the nations of the world. God, we're asking for that. Mm. Oh, 
Oh, Lord. We thank you for it. I, I feel hope in the room. I feel like people are like, man, I'm, I'm praying for America. But I also feel that there's people who might think, you might think, no, I can't happen. It's too late. It's too far gone. Huh. But that's not the God that I know and the God that I serve. The God that I know is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness, rich and abundant. Let's just ask him, God, move in America. Move in our cities. Move in our states. God, move in our land. Move in the hearts of hard-hearted governors of states who don't know you. Move. move. Go, you're able. You turn the heart of the king every way you will. We just pray right now for our elected officials. God, I pray that they would have the fear of God in their lives. We're asking you for that to move in America. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Mm. Man, the concept of mercy is so real and so profound. It, it's really the, the essence of, of repentance in the heart of the gospel. Uh, among my many flaws is I have a lead foot. I drive too fast sometimes. I've been pulled over and given tickets, and I got police officer friends, and I'm, I'm sorry. It's just the truth. I, but I'll get mercy from those cops, man. They've, I've had a lot of good cops give me mercy. I heard the story of a woman in Georgia, and she had three kids, and she, she got lost track of time. She was just driving along, and, and uh, it was speeding, got pulled over. And she didn't have the money to pay for that ticket. So she had to go before the judge because she didn't have the fine to pay it. She went to the judge, and she said, he said, are you guilty or not guilty? And she said, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of speeding. He said, well, your fine's $100. And she said, I don't, I don't have $100. And he said, well, then you're going to have to spend the weekend in jail. That's the law. And she said, well, I, I, I have three children. I don't have anyone to watch out for them. I, 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 I don't have the money. I can't go to jail. Can you just extend mercy to me? And the judge looked at her. He thought about it. He stood up. He took off his robe. He came over and sat next to her where her lawyer would be seated. And he reached in his wallet and he pulled out the $100 to pay that fine. He got back up, put his robe on, sat back down. And said, ma'am, you're guilty of speeding. And you don't have the money. But fortunately for you, someone has paid it. And you can go home right now. That's the mercy of God. That's what Jesus did for you and me. When he stepped out of heaven and he took off his divinity. And he became a man. And because of his mercy, you and I are saved this morning. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But it's his mercy. Now, anyone out there that doesn't know the Lord, I just want to take a moment here. Every eye closed, every, every head bowed. If, if this is a moment for you to rededicate your life, recommit it to the Lord, this is your time. Now, his mercy is new every morning. It's available to you right now. His mercy is right here.